Welcome to the Golden Age of Comic Books. Hey, Golden Age fans, it's November 12th, 2008, and this is Bill Jourdain, the host of the Golden Age of Comic Books podcast. Glad you're here this week for the 59th installment of the Golden Age of Comic Books. Well, it's been a couple of months since I've done a show, but I've got a lot to talk about in this episode. First of all, I'm going to talk about a couple of projects that I've been involved with over the last several months. Then I'm going to do something that I haven't done in quite a while, and that is a market report. I've had several emails from folks wanting me to look at how the sales of some Golden Age titles have been going over the last few months, and so I thought I would check out some sources on the web and give you all a report on how the market's going, particularly in this bad economy that we're in at the moment. Then I'm going to talk about a character that I've not ever covered on the Golden Age of Comic Books, and that is the Phantom Lady who first appeared in the early 1940s and still survives today in the pages of DC, but DC didn't publish her adventures early on. In fact, she was published by several different companies during the Golden Age of Comic Books, so stay tuned for that. Now, since our last episode, there have been a number of reprints that have come out of Golden Age material. In fact, I was uh, very pleased and and very surprised, really, of the number of Golden Age reprint books that have come out over the last few months. So let me cover those here on the show today for you. First of all, I noticed that a couple more of the DC Chronicles have come out. Uh, The Batman uh, Chronicles, one issue of that, and one issue of the Superman Chronicles have been published by DC. Of course, those are trade paperback books that uh, are somewhat inexpensive, and they are reprinting all of the Superman and Batman stories in those respective titles chronologically from the beginning, of course, Superman and Action Comics number 1 in 1938, and Batman from Detective Comics number 27 forward from 1939. And they're into the era now where those adventures were also appearing in World's Finest comics, so you'll find a lot of issues that contain stories from World's Finest that have not been reprinted a lot. So if you're interested in reading the Batman and Superman stories chronologically, starting with their very first adventures in the Golden Age of Comics, check out the Chronicles that have been published by DC now. I believe the Superman Chronicles is up to issue number 5, and the Batman Chronicles are up to issue number 6. Also, I noticed that Marvel has ramped up their reprinting of a lot of the Golden Age material and a lot of their pre-hero material. For instance, I noticed that they have put out in the last few months several of the Atlas-era books that they have uh, started working on in the last couple of years. First of all, Strange Tales, number one, Atlas-era Strange Tales, number one, Masterworks, has been published. Some great material there. Atlas-era Tales to Astonish, number two, has been published. And although it took them a while, they finally got around to Journey into Mystery within the last couple of weeks. And Atlas-era Journey into Mystery, volume number one, has been published. So if you are interested in the pre-hero Marvel stories, the mystery and some of the horror and other types of material, check those out. Uh, They're really, really well done, and I think you'll enjoy that material quite a bit. Late Golden Age classic Marvel material. Marvel has also continued to publish some of the Golden Age reprints in their Masterwork series. Golden Age Marvel Comics number 3 has been published, and Golden Age Captain America Volume 2 has been published. So, Marvel's really, as I said, ramped it up. They've been putting out a lot of great reprint volumes of their classic material, and I've really enjoyed perusing those books as they've been published over the last few months. 
DC has continued on in uh, reprinting some of their early material. Not quite as much as they have in the past, but they are still working at it. The only one that I noticed that has come out over the last couple of months was the Spirit, Volume 25, which did not reprint the Spirit Sunday newspaper sections. That was actually completed with Volume Number 24. But with Volume Number 25, they reprinted a number of the rare Spirit daily newspaper strips. I found that very enjoyable. I had never read any of those, and as I went through that volume, I, I enjoyed reading some of those newspaper strips from the run of the spirit. Last but not least, I noticed a reprint volume that was not Marvel or DC, but I was very pleased to see it, and that was published by Dark Horse, and that was the Roy Rogers archive book put out by Dark Horse. And, you know, you don't see a lot of the old Roy Rogers Western material, particularly the real early stuff, reprinted. And I was real happy to see that Dark Horse took the initiative and took the Golden Age Del Roy Rogers comics material and reprinted it. That volume contains the Roy Rogers stories from Four Color Comics numbers 38, 63, 86, 95, and 109 the very earliest Roy Rogers stories that are pretty well sought after by collectors, particularly those that collect the Western titles, of which there are many. And uh, I'm sure that they were very pleased to see Dark Horse reprint those Roy Rogers stories in one volume. Now, not only have I been reading comics, but I have been involved in a couple of different comics-related projects over the last couple of months, last few months, really. And I wanted to mention those to you. I think that I've mentioned these before. I know that I've done a promo for some other podcasts for one of these, but let me go ahead and mention these now. First of all, I have been writing the Comics Then column for Comics Now magazine. Comics Now magazine is published by uh, Ape Entertainment. Brian Deemer from Comic Geek Speak is the editor-in-chief, the grand poobah of the Comics Now magazine. And uh, issues one through three have now been published, and I have had the Comics Then column focusing on Golden Age characters in those three issues. I understand that issue number four will be out very shortly. I have completed the column for issue number four, and I was real pleased with how that came out. I won't spoil it for you and tell you what it's about, but uh, it will be out very soon. And also, we've been working on issue number five, and in fact, uh, just this past week, I put the finishing touches on the column for Comics Now magazine number five. So, I hope that those of you that have read the Comics Now magazine, and in particular the Comics Then column that I've put together for those magazines, uh, have, have enjoyed them. Please keep buying that comic book magazine. I think you'll really enjoy it. It's not, not just because I'm in it, but because there's some excellent columns and articles in there from other comic book podcasters and comic book fans. It really is a great publication, and I think each and every one of you will enjoy it. You can buy the back issues by going to the Ape Entertainment website. They have a number of them there. I believe all of them are still available for purchase. And, of course, uh, you can order the current issue from your local comic shop or from Direct Comic Book Service online. So check out Comics Now magazine, and in particular, check out my column called Comics Then. Now, in addition to working on my column for Comics Now magazine, I had the pleasure to work on a project that is now completed and is available out there in the public. In fact, I noticed that it was on Amazon.com. I believe you can get it from Borders and other retailers of that type. And that is the Vintage DC Superhero Calendar for 2009. 
I really had a lot of fun working on this calendar and helping put it together. It's been published by Asgard Press. Their website is asgardpress.com. It's a 16-month calendar. It starts with September of 2008. Of course, September and October and almost half of November are gone now. But uh, it goes all the way through December of 2009. Now, what's unique about this calendar is that it's almost like a poster book. The images are bigger than 11 by 17. You can uh, tear them out. They're actually perforated. And there are 16 vintage covers reprinted in high quality, uh, suitable for framing in this particular calendar. A lot of great, uh, lot of great covers there. Uh, old Golden Age Superman and Batman and a lot of other characters. So check that out at the Asgard Press website. Now, what's neat is if you go to their website and you want to buy one of these calendars, they're $18.95 retail. And by the way, they really make great gifts uh, for the holidays, so don't forget about that. But if you use promo code Golden Age Comics, that's all one word, Golden Age Comics, when you check out, you'll get a 10% discount on not only that calendar, but any calendar or other item that Asgard Press has for sale on their website. So go to AsgardPress.com. Not only do they have this really cool DC Superheroes calendar, the vintage calendar for 2009, they have a Mad Magazine calendar that is really fantastic. They have a number of sports-related calendars for college teams. What's really cool about the college team calendars is that they've gone back to the 19 teams and later, and they have gotten the old program covers from the college football games from way back and they've reprinted them in the same format that I mentioned for the comic book calendar. Really cool, suitable for framing. So if you have a sports fanatic, particularly a college sports fanatic in your household, check out the calendars on the Asgard Press website, and you might find a great gift there as well. Um, again, if you use the promo code Golden Age Comics, you'll get 10% off those calendars as well. As I said, I was real pleased to work on this. Not only did I talk to the folks at Asgard about the covers that were going to be used, but I wrote one of the introductions to the calendar that you'll be able to find there on the website. They've reprinted it there. And I wrote the descriptions for each of the covers that are included in the DC Superheroes Vintage Calendar. So I had a lot of fun doing that, and it is an official DC licensed product. So check it out, and I think you will really and truly Enjoy having that hanging up in your comic book room. All right, well, let's move on to the Golden Age Market Report. Again, something I haven't done in many, many episodes of the Golden Age of Comic Books, but I did have a request in particular from Chris Marshall over at the Collected Comics Library podcast. He asked me to get back into the Market Report, and several other people did as well. So I decided to check out some of the key books that are for sale on the Internet right now. And I went to ComicLink, ComicLink.com. I've gone to other websites in the past to do the market report. I've gone to Heritage. I've gone to other auction sites, even eBay. But I thought I'd check out ComicLink for this episode, and I found some interesting stuff over there. First of all, they actually have an auction that's going on right now. Uh, it ends on November 17th. And I checked all these prices out over at their website on November the 10th. So... The numbers may be much higher than, than I'm reporting uh, if you go over there right now, but at least as of November 10th, these were the prices. So I checked out a couple of their auction books, first of all. They had an all-winners number one. Of course, that's DC book um, that I've talked about before. This is a CGC-graded book. It's 9.4, 
and the bid up to the 10th of November was $15,500. Now, this is the second highest CGC graded issue of All Winners Number 1, a key book and a very, very high-grade condition book. Now, they estimate that that book will sell for between fifty and $60,000, so it was way below that seven days before the auction was scheduled to end. So we'll have to see how it does, but that is a key book in really high grade. So I'll check it out, and, and you all need to do the same thing over at Comic Link, and we'll see what that auction ends up at. The other book I looked at in their auction, this auction ends on November the 20th, was a CGC 4.0 graded copy of one of the very key books from the Golden Age, and that's Superman number 1. Now, on the 10th of November, as I mentioned, this book had gotten up to $51,000 in the bidding. The estimate of the final number is between seventy-five dollars and $100,000, so we'll have to see how that one ends up as well. But a very key book, uh, not one of the highest graded copies of Superman number 1, but a key book nevertheless. Now, over on Comic Link, they also reported some sales of some comics, and I thought I'd mention uh, just a handful of those uh, to conclude the market report. First of all, they had a sale of one of the key books, probably for most of us, the key book of the Golden Age of Comic Books, and that's, of course, Action Comics number 1, the first appearance of Superman in 1938. This copy of Action number 1 was graded CGC 2.0, and it sold for $85,000. That's not an ongoing auction. That's actually a sale of that particular book, $85,000. They reported the sale of a copy of All-Star Comics number 8. Of course, that's a key book because it contains the first appearance of Wonder Woman. And that was a CGC-graded 8.5, pretty high-grade book. And it sold for $62,000, pretty, uh, pretty high number there for that book. Now, a really uh, big sale was a copy of Marvel Comics number 1. Of course, that is considered the first Marvel Comics. It also contains the first appearance of the Human Torch and the Submariner. A very, very high-grade copy of this book, CGC 9.0, probably one of the best copies out there. And it sold for a whopping $208,000. So really, really big numbers on that high-grade copy of Marvel Comics number 1. I found something over there that I thought was very interesting, uh, an, a unique piece of comic book memorabilia, and that is a one-of-a-kind piece of art, and that is the original concept sketch for Wonder Woman that was done in 1941. That actually sold for $75,000, one sheet, small, uh, a small image, and it was in color, but it sold for $75,000. Now, they also reported the sale of a Captain America number 1, First appearance of that character, CGC 8.0, pretty high grade. It sold for $56,000. And last but not least, they reported the sale of a more fun comics number 52. Of course, that's the first appearance of the Spectre. That was CGC 7.5, and it sold for $90,000. So if you add up all of these sales, it's pretty amazing what these key Golden Age books and high grade and the Superman number one in mid-grade sold for. And it just goes to show that even though we have a bad economy, people are still out there looking for the high-grade and key Golden Age books that are available, and they're willing to spend the money to get those. I think those two auctions that I mentioned are certainly representative of that as well. So I hope you've enjoyed a little bit of a market report for this issue of the Golden Age of Comic Books. 
Well, let's shift gears and talk about the main topic of episode 59 of the Golden Age of Comic Books, and that is none other than the Phantom Lady, who made her first appearance in Police Comics number 1 in August of 1941. Now, those of you that have listened to the other episodes of the Golden Age of Comic Books will know that Police Comics number 1 is probably best known for the first appearance of Plastic Man, but the Phantom Lady made her first appearance as a backup feature in the pages of Police Comics number 1. So let's talk about this character and the impact that she made on the Golden Age of comic books. Well, the first Phantom Lady appeared in a story and wasn't quite the Phantom Lady that most of you are probably thinking about that appeared later on in the Golden Age of comics. This Phantom Lady had a yellow one-piece costume with a red cape, she had a red belt, and she appeared in a story that honestly was a little bit bland, but it did set the tone for the stories to come about this character, and it did introduce her supporting cast and the various aspects of what made her a superhero in the golden age of comic books. So, without further ado, let's walk through the first Phantom Lady appearance from Police Comics number one. Right off the bat in this story, we learn that the Phantom Lady is, in fact, a debutante daughter of Senator Henry Knight, and her name is Sandra Knight, and that no one suspects that frivolous Sandra is also the Phantom Lady who battles against spies and public enemies, constantly making the headlines. So that's the story of the introduction of the Phantom Lady. And as the story begins, we see, of course, the Phantom Lady in her costume in the splash panel holding her black lantern and we'll talk about that in a few minutes and by the way i mentioned a moment ago that she had a red cape and i misspoke she actually had a green cape in her initial costuming in the phantom lady stories her cape as we'll talk about later did change color now the story opens with sandra knight driving her father senator henry knight to see the testing of a new explosive that was created by professor named Raphael. Interestingly, this explosive was going to be made with uranium. This is long before the atomic bomb was created. But anyway, he was going to explode a uranium-based explosive with tremendous force to prove that it was the most powerful explosive and that hopefully the United States government would purchase the formula and use this explosive in its various efforts to protect the country and, of course, later on in the war. Now, as we see Sandra and her father driving to the scene, the scene shifts, and Raphael is speaking to who will be the chief villain in this story, a man named Winner. And Winner just doesn't believe that his explosive will really do what it says. Also, at the same time, we see a plane approaching the test site. The plane is disguised, we learn, as a Navy plane, but it in fact carries another villain. And as the testing begins, we see that the explosive that Raphael has created is, in fact, a major improvement over other explosives of the day, and the crater that it leaves is absolutely tremendous. And about the time that the test is over, and Sandra and her father and Winner and Raphael have witnessed this massive explosion, The plane that I mentioned dives out of the air in what they call a screaming power dive and begins firing bullets at everyone on the ground. Sandra and her father jump into their red convertible and escape, and it appears to them that the 
pilot of the plane is attempting to murder everyone, including Raphael and Winter. Well, it turns out that Winter, as I mentioned, is the bad guy, and he and the pilot of the plane after the plane lands kidnap Dr. Raphael and put him in the plane, and then they drop another explosive device onto the area of the test to destroy all of the evidence of the test. Well, Sandra and her father have witnessed all of this, and they realize that they're going to have to go and report this to the authorities in the United States government to let them try to figure out what happened and hopefully uh, figure out if Dr. Raphael survived the explosion. In fact, Sandra mentioned that she thought she saw someone getting into the plane as they were driving away at a rapid pace, so she wasn't sure if everyone died or not. So she met that evening with a member of the State Department, an investigator named Don Borden, and explained all of that to him. And Borden tells her that they will uh, have to check into all this. Well, Sandra returns to her apartment and decides that she is going to check all of this out on her own, but not as Sandra Knight, the debutante daughter of Senator Henry Knight, but as the Phantom Lady. And so she jumps into her special black roadster and speeds through the dark streets and drives to what she calls Winter's Weekend Camp to see if she can figure out if something is a myth. And sure enough, as she exits her car at the camp, someone is there, a guard with a rifle, and tries to shoot at her and kill her. But of course, he misses. If he had hit her and killed her, well, that would have been the end of the Phantom Lady mighty quickly. And she dodges into the woods and is hiding out and realizes that if something wasn't amiss, this gentleman would not have tried to kill her. And so she swings to the rooftops of the camp and crawls in through a window. And about that time, Winter comes out to ask the guard, what in the world are you shooting at? And the guard says, well, and I quote, a dame in a funny outfit, but I missed and Phantom Lady has gotten into the house, and she's looking around trying to figure out what is going on and why Winter uh, is being so mysterious. And she moves into the room where Winter and his guard have now entered, and they see her, and in order to protect herself, she pulls out what the story calls her Black Lantern, and it generates a cone of darkness that envelops the surprised pair of Winter and his guard, and they are completely blinded and in the dark by the Phantom Lady's Black Lantern. And she attempts to ask them questions and interrogate them while they are basically frozen in the dark. But uh, Winter, who uh, is somewhat intelligent, realizes that if he aims the rifle that his guard was holding in the direction of her voice and fires, he might just get lucky And sure enough, he does and shoots the Black Lantern right out of Phantom Lady's hand. And, of course, the black light turns off, and uh, they get ready to apprehend her, but she is too fast for them. And as bullets fly over her head, she exits out of the house and out the door into the woods. When Winter and his guard cannot locate the Phantom Lady, they realize that uh, she may run to the police. And so they jump into Winter's car and decide that they're going to go somewhere where they're actually um, hiding Dr. Raphael. And Phantom Lady is hiding down the street in her black sedan, which has the same type of black light shining out of the headlights so that they can't see her as they drive by. Very convenient uh, to have those kind of lights on your car. 
And they take off down the road with Phantom Lady following in her black sedan, her convertible. And they drive out into a swamp, and they get out of their car, and they get into a boat, and they paddle to an old shack out in the middle of the swamp. If you've seen the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, just imagine the old shacks in the swamp as the, uh, as the pirates were paddling their way to the, the old witch's cabin, and that's what this looks like in this particular scene. The Phantom Lady, of course, jumps into another boat and paddles behind them and tracks them to this cabin. Well, in the meantime, she has somehow managed to fix her black lantern, and as she silently peers through the window, she notices that Winter does have Raphael tied up in the old cabin, and they're getting ready to torture him to get him to reveal the secret formula for this great explosive that he has created, and they're going to get it and write it down, and then they're probably going to kill him and dispose of him in the swamp. So Phantom Lady, realizing that she needs to act fast, she shines her repaired black lantern into the room and blinds everyone, and Winter's guard, trying to shoot again to to either hit her or hit her black lantern, shoots wildly and hits an oil lamp that's hanging in the room, and of course it crashes to the ground, the building catches on fire, the Phantom Lady manages to untie Dr. Raphael, and they hop into a boat uh, that was left behind by Winter and his guard, and they paddle off into the swamp. Meanwhile, Winter and his guard come out of the room, and they get into the boat that the Phantom Lady had left behind, but it was actually a smaller boat, like a canoe, and as they step into it, they topple, they fall into the swamp, which is described as quicksand-like, and as they're in the swamp trying to struggle through the quicksand, a nest of angry moccasins, it says, comes upon them, and of course Winter and his guard meet their fate that most of the criminals in the Golden Age of comic books met, and that is, they met their deaths. Phantom Lady and Winter paddle off with the building burning in the background, and Phantom Lady doesn't reveal her secret identity to Winter, but states that, just like my secret, your formula is now safe and is still a secret. And he says, no, I'm going to give this to the War Department. They need it more than I do. And that is how the story concludes. And it states at the end that the Phantom Lady will return next month in Police Comics, and they will surprise you in a September issue with plenty of action, thrills, and adventure from the Phantom Lady. So that concluded the very first Phantom Lady adventure that appeared in August of 1941 in Police Comics number 1. So what happened to the Phantom Lady after her first appearance in Police Comics? Well, she continued to appear regularly in Police Comics through issue number 23. That was the October 1943 issue. Her original adventure was drawn by uh, by Arthur Petty, P-E-D-D-Y. He drew her adventures in issues 1 through 13, of police comics. Then the great Joe Kubert, believe it or not, drew her adventures in police comics 14 through 17. Frank Borth took a hand at the Phantom Lady in issues 18 through 21. Petty came back for issue number 22. And then last but not least, Rudy Pillay drew her adventures in her final appearance in police comics in issue number 23. Now at the same time, she also appeared in feature comics in issues 69 through 71 in crossover stories with characters called the Spider-Woman and the Raven. Now, Police Comics, as I talked about when I had our episode about the 
Plastic Man, was published by Quality Comics. Quality, of course, as many of you know, got a lot of its material from the Iger Studio. The Iger Studio, of course, initially was the Eisner Iger Studio, Will Eisner, the great Golden Age creator who created the spirit uh, with uh, Iger, had created this studio, and they packaged comics for a number of different publishers, including Quality Comics. Now, after Quality stopped publishing Phantom Lady with Police Comics number 23 in 1943, the character had a hiatus for about four years and wasn't published in any form uh, in any comic book of the time. Now, somewhere along the way, there was a little bit of confusion about who actually owned the copyright to the Phantom Lady, and Iger repackaged the character and started selling it to the Fox Feature Syndicate. And it's the Fox Feature Syndicate Phantom Lady that most comic book collectors and fans will recognize when you talk about the Phantom Lady. And in 1947, Fox began publishing the character. Now, as I've talked about before, Fox had been publishing a number of other titles, and as the Golden Age comic book companies did so often, they didn't just start a whole new title for the Phantom Lady. They took another title that they had been running, and they simply just changed the title of it and changed the numbering to uh, be sequential so that they wouldn't have to start a whole new magazine for postal regulation purposes and so on and so forth. And so Fox had been publishing a title called what a Life, W-O-T-A-L-I-F-E, What a Life. And it had been published uh, as a funny animal humor comic. And through number 12, it, it existed in that form. Well, with issue number 13, the title was changed to Phantom Lady, and the Phantom Lady character began being published by Fox. Now, why this is so important for the collectors of the Golden Age of comic books and the fans of the Golden Age of comic books is at this time, a real landmark event occurred with the publication of Phantom Lady. And that is that the person who was probably the first African-American comic book artist ever began drawing the Phantom Lady. And not only was he known because of that, but he was also known as being probably the premier, the very best artist of good girl art, uh, drawing beautiful women during the golden age of comic books. And, of course, that was none other than Matt Baker. And Matt Baker took over drawing the Phantom Lady with issue number 13, which was the first issue published by Fox Feature Syndicates. Now, Baker changed the Phantom Lady character drastically. She was no longer going to be the same character that we had seen over in the pages of police comics. And the first thing he did was he drastically changed her costume. And he changed it from yellow to blue. He uh, reduced the amount of cloth needed to create her costume significantly. It was a very, very skimpy outfit with a plunging neckline and a bright red cape. He also turned the character into a very voluptuous-looking young woman. And, of course, uh, as most of you know that know anything about Matt Baker, the covers that he drew for Phantom Lady for Fox uh, are absolutely uh, well-known, and uh, if you see them, th they're very recognizable because of the uh, way in which he drew. The Phantom Lady and other covers that Baker drew over time uh, were very recognizable because of the beautiful women that he drew. Now, with uh, issue number 13, as I mentioned, he took over the character, drew all the stories in issue number 13, and the character continued on with Fox through issue number 23, 
that was the April 1949 issue. Ironically, her, her run with Quality ended with issue 23 of Police Comics, and of course she ended with issue number 23 of Phantom Lady Comics under the Fox banner. Now, one of the most recognized Golden Age covers of all time, not just Phantom Lady covers, but Golden Age covers of all time, is probably the cover of Phantom Lady number 17. That was the April 1948 issue. This cover was, was singled out by Frederick Wortham in his attack on comic books in his book published by Reinhardt in 1954 that everyone has heard of called The Seduction of the Innocent. And in the images that he used in his book to describe why comics were bad, and particularly in Chapter 7 of his book where he talks about how comics were very, very bad in their portrayal of women, he singles out the cover of Phantom Lady number 17 and talks about it at great length. And that cover was reproduced in the pages of The Seduction of the Innocent book by Wortham. Of course, that ultimately led to the Senate hearings and the creation of the Comic Code Authority, which most folks call censorship, which really drastically changed the content of comic books into the 1950s. So Phantom Lady number 17, drawn by Matt Baker, is that cover, and certainly, as I mentioned, one of the most recognized covers in the golden age of comic books, and you'll be able to find it just by doing a Google for Phantom Lady number 17, and I'll have an image of it with the show notes on the blog where I have other information about this episode of the show. Now, in addition to appearing in her own title, Phantom Lady Under the Fox Banner, she also appeared in another of Fox's titles that was called All Top Comics in issues 8 through 17. All of that was done by Matt Baker as well. Baker did a lot of the All Top covers, or several of them anyway, Uh, The covers of All Top that featured good girl art were jungle-themed, but, uh, of course, the Phantom Lady did not appear on those covers. But Baker did the Phantom Lady stories, and uh, they're really great. So uh, you can find, under the Fox banner, Phantom Lady in both the All Top and in her own title, Phantom Lady. The last issue of All Top Comics, number 17, that was the May 1949 issue. That also coincided with her last appearance in Phantom Lady number 23. And that was her last appearance in the 1940s. And in 1949, Fox stopped publishing the stories of the Phantom Lady. And that was the end of her run as published by Fox. But it wasn't quite the end of the Phantom Lady in the golden age of comic books. Now, if you've heard me mention before, back in the mid-50s, Marvel, or actually at that time, Atlas, tried to revive Captain America and the Submariner and the Human Torch in some titles that they tried to resurrect during that time. Well, a company called Ajax also tried to resurrect the Phantom Lady at about the same time that Marvel was trying to resurrect their superheroes in the mid-1950s, just before the start of the Silver Age in 1956. And Ajax decided to resurrect this character. I'm not quite sure how Ajax, uh, which was also under the Feral publishing banner, how they acquired the Phantom Lady character. Maybe they didn't acquire it at all. I'm not really sure how all that happened. It's possible that they acquired it from the uh, uh, Fox Feature Syndicate Company, which had gone out of business at this point. But be that as it may, um, or whether they acquired it from uh, the Iger Studio through its old quality run in police comics, hard to say, but in any event, Ajax published a run of Phantom Lady starting in uh, December 1954, five and a half years after she had last appeared 
in the pages of All Top and in her own title, Phantom Lady. And they started the issue with issue number one, and that ran through issue number four, which was the June 1955 issue. So it only ran for about six months, and then that title was canceled. Interestingly, the last two issues of the Ajax Phantom Lady comic were both Comic Code Authority approved. And so, of course, the portrayal of the Phantom Lady and all of the other information and uh, uh, characters that were drawn in those two final issues were code approved, so they were really toned down quite a bit from the prior two issues. None of the art in the four Ajax Phantom Lady issues were done by Matt Baker. They were done by someone else, and of course not quite the the quality, uh, no pun intended, uh, as the work done by uh, Matt Baker. So that uh, was the end of the Phantom Lady during the Golden Age of Comics with the June 1955 fourth issue of her Ajax title. Now, later on, DC Comics did purchase the rights to all of the Fox characters, including the Phantom Lady, and they brought the character back finally in the pages of Justice League of America number uh, 107, I believe it was, in 1973. And I'm not going to go into all of the changes that DC implemented for the Phantom Lady character after they introduced her in the 70s, but needless to say, there have been quite a number of permutations of the Phantom Lady by DC Comics during the run uh, in which it has owned this character and continues to own the character to this day. Now, based on some of the confusion of who owned the copyright to Phantom Lady, AC Comics early on began publishing some Phantom Lady stories uh, in their Femforce title uh, and reprinting some of the old Phantom Lady stories in its Golden Age Men of Mystery title. Uh, When they were writing new stories and publishing new stories with Phantom Lady, DC threatened them with legal action, and of course they stopped using the Phantom Lady character and changed it to a different name and a different character. But if you want to read some of the old Phantom Lady stories from the Golden Age of Comic Books, where do you go? Well, the good news is all of those stories from Police Comics and the Quality Run uh, and the Fox Run were uh, ultimately put into the public domain. They're all in the public domain now, and a lot of them can be located on the Internet. Of course, as I mentioned, AC Comics has reprinted those stories in their Golden Age Men of Mystery titles. You can also go to a website, goldenagecomics.co. UK, goldenagecomics.co.uk. It's not affiliated with my website, goldenagecomics.org, or this podcast. And they have a lot of different comic books that are scanned in that you can download from there, including a lot of the Phantom Lady stories if you're interested in reading those. So check those out. In fact, I'm going to do something that I've never done before uh, in my show notes. And because these, these old stories are now in the public domain, I'm going to put a PDF file in my, uh, on my blog with the show notes for this episode where you will find the Phantom Lady story from Police Comics number 1. And then I'm also going to post the first Matt Baker story from Phantom Lady number 13 that was published by Fox. So you'll find both of those stories in the show notes. I hope you enjoy reading them. And uh, you'll see the, the, the big difference between the early Phantom Lady and the Matt Baker Phantom Lady that was published uh, several years later. Well, I hope you've enjoyed learning a little bit about the Phantom Lady from Police Comics in 1941 and then moving on into the Fox feature books, the Phantom Lady book published uh, later than that. 
and then her final appearances in the Golden Age of comic books as published by Ajax in the mid-1950s. Not one of the key characters from the Golden Age of comic books, but certainly one of the most recognizable characters, especially when you consider the work done on the Phantom Lady by the great Matt Baker. All right, well, to conclude the show today, I thought I'd do something that I've never done on the Golden Age of comic books, and that is we're going to have a little contest. We're going to have a trivia contest. And I've got with me today a little assistant. Well, she's not that little, but uh, my daughter Emily's here to help me with the trivia contest. Emily, say hi to everybody. Hi, everybody. And we're going to ask a trivia question, and then we're going to award a wonderful prize for whoever is the first person to email me correctly the answer to this trivia question. Now, I talked about, at the early part of the episode, the calendar that I worked on with the Asgard Press Company at asgardpress.com. And what I'm going to do is, the first person that emails me at goldenagecomics at gmail.com, the correct answer to this trivia question, I'm going to send you not only one of the... um, vintage DC superhero uh, comic book calendars that Emily is holding right now in her hand. Isn't it cool, Emily? Yes. Do you love this calendar? Yes. And what do you love about it? It has Superman on the front. Well, that's cool. And it's got, uh, flip it over, and who are some of the other characters? Who are some of the other characters uh, on the back of it? Who, who, Who do we have on there? Do we have Batman? Batman and Robin and the Joker... And a bunch of other people. Yeah. We've got all kinds. We've got the Spectre from the Silver Age. We've got uh, Batgirl. We've got some Golden Age heroes like the Green Lantern and many others. So I'm going to mail whoever sends me the answer to this trivia question first by email at goldenagecomics at gmail.com. Not only am I going to send you the Vintage Superheroes calendar, I'm also going to send you a copy of the Mad Magazine calendar that Asgard Press did that I think is really cool as well. I didn't have a hand in creating that particular calendar, but it's really cool, and I've got several copies of it, and I'm going to send one along with the Golden Age and Silver Age superhero calendar to the winner of the trivia contest. So, Emily, what do you think? Is that a good contest? Yes. All right, well, tell you what. Here's the question that everybody's going to have to answer in order to win this contest. Now, again, it's, it's the first person who sends me an email at goldenagecomics at gmail.com in answer to this question. Here's the question. As we were talking about the Phantom Lady on this episode, I talked about the most famous artist who worked on the character, and that artist is known as uh, Matt Baker, of course. Uh, His full name was Christopher Matthew Baker. Now, Baker is known for not only his work on Phantom Lady and on other titles where he did good girl art, but he's also known for creating the very first graphic novel in the history of comic books. Now, here's the question that you need to answer to win the two calendars. What was the name of the graphic novel that was created by Matt Baker, number one? Number two, who published the graphic novel? And number three, How did they describe it? What was the name they gave to the graphic novel, the type of of, uh, book that they called it? So that's three questions. The title, the publisher, and how they described their particular graphic novel. The first person to email me at goldenagecomics at gmail.com with the answer to that question 
we'll win the two calendars and I'll mail them right out to you. You can use them yourself. You can give them for gifts, and uh, I think you'll really enjoy them. And again, if you're interested in buying these calendars, you can go to the Asgard Press website, asgardpress.com. Don't forget to use promo code code Golden Age Comics, all one word, Golden Age Comics, and you'll get a 10% discount on the calendar. So, Emily, thank you very much for helping with the contest today. It'll be great to see who our winner is, won't it? Yes, it will. All right. Well, we'll see you on the next show, okay? Okay. Thanks. All right, everybody. Well, that's going to do it for the 59th installment of the Golden Age of Comic Books for November 12th, 2008. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode. I'm glad I was able to get one done uh, in in, uh, less than six months from the last episode. Uh, Don't forget uh, to send us the answer to the trivia question, first person to get me an answer to the uh, question at my email address, goldenagecomics at gmail.com. Gets to two calendars mailed to you. Don't forget to send me your mailing address, and I will get those right out to you. Uh, Don't forget about uh, Comics Now magazine and the Comics Then column that I've been writing for the magazine. I really think you're going to love that magazine if you pick up a copy, if you haven't already done it. And we would appreciate your support so we can keep that magazine going. Don't forget you can always visit our website to read our show notes and other great information about the Golden Age of Comic Books. The website is goldenagecomics.org. That'll redirect you to the blog page over at uh, uh, Blogger. And I have there uh, all of the notes about the show. I have links to the actual MP3 files and other useful information about this episode and other episodes of the Golden Age of Comic Books. In fact, you will find, as I mentioned earlier, PDF files for the Phantom Lady story from Police Comics number one and the first Baker story that appeared in Phantom Lady number 13 as published by Fox. Don't forget to visit our site over at uh, Comic Space. That's comicspace.com forward slash Golden Age Comics. I've got a link there to each and every episode, an index of each and every episode of the Golden Age of Comic Books. And uh, I think you'll find that really useful in looking back at some of our previous episodes if you're interested in listening to any of those. At our website at goldenagecomics.org, you will find a link to our forum over at the Comics Forums as graciously provided by the folks at Comic Geek Speak. Every now and then there's some good information on the forum about Golden Age comic books. I always post there that I have uh, finished an episode and there are always some comments about the episode. So check out the forum. You'll find all the other podcasts related to comic books over at the forum as well. And as I mentioned in the last episode, I'm still over on Twitter. Every now and then I will put a Golden Age read of the day where I talk about whatever Golden Age comic book or story I might be reading that particular day. Also, a lot of the other comic book podcasters and friends of the comic book podcasting family are over on Twitter. Also, we're over on Friend Feed and uh, on Facebook as well. So check out those particular sites and I think you'll find some additional information about uh, me and the Golden Age of comic books that might be, uh, be helpful to you if you're interested in learning more about the Golden Age. And somebody a long time ago asked me about a little information about me and what I do in in the comic book world. Um, Of course, I'm I'm not a comic book professional like so many people are, but I finally got around to doing a little bit of a biography about myself, and I posted that over on the blog page at goldenagecomics.org. It's over on the left side. You'll see a little link to the question, Who is Bill Jourdain? So click on that, and you will... Uh, find a little biography about my comic book-related life. Uh, you'll also see me there holding the original cover art is drawn by Jerry Robinson to Batman number 11. 
one of my favorite uh, moments in my comic book collecting history was to get a chance to hold that particular piece of original art. It sold uh, at auction a little bit later after I was able to look at it and hold it for almost $200,000, so a really valuable piece of Golden Age memorabilia, and I was real pleased to be able to hold that. So as we enter into the holiday season, I hope everybody uh, has a great time uh, enjoying the holidays and being with your families. Even though the economy is a little bit uh, bad right now, I know that just spending time with friends and family is what the holidays are all about. So enjoy the holidays. I hope you get some great Golden Age comic book moments in there as well. Read some of those reprints that we talked about. And I will look forward to talking to you about Golden Age comic books in our next episode.